Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. They're just on their couches, like, complaining. Where's God at? As they're lounging on their couch, doing nothing. Where's God at? Right? Rubbing the lamp. Where's the magic genie? Where's my wishes? I guess, oh, he's not coming out. He doesn't care about me. Well, what are you doing for him? Where, where did you go? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where did, where did I go? If I'm on the couch wailing and whining and complaining, the issue is not with God. The issue is with me. Many years ago, there were these skits on TV with a family called The Whiners. The entire family would constantly complain about everything. And while the skits were funny in some ways, in others they weren't, because they were more true to life than we wanted to admit. As Pastor James shares, we all can get into the habit of complaining, especially against God. But praise God, He gives us grace, as He did with the Israelites. So when we're done whining, God is waiting for us to turn back to Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Hosea chapter 7 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Chapter 7 is where we start, and we're just in the middle of like a a trial scene, courtroom scenario kind of thing, where God is bringing these accusations against Israel. And and what what I'm saying, Israel, if you've been in here, you understand that I'm talking about the northern tribes. Okay, that's Israel. Uh, Judah would be the southern tribes. So God, in this letter, is dealing primarily with the northern tribes, okay? And he does deal with the southern tribes as well, but um, right now, it's, it's, it's the 10 northern tribes. So you have... Uh, verse 1 of chapter 7, this is just going into Israel's depravity. It says, I want to heal Israel, but its sins are too great. Samaria is filled with liars. This is uh, the true condition of Israel here, okay? So God's calling them out. He's like, I want to love you, but you're, you're just, your sins are too great. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't love them. He's just exposing to them of their, not just like, oh, you're sinners and I can't love you, but no, you are continually wicked, continually rebelling against me. You want nothing to do with me, is kind of what, is how this works. And that's that relationship dynamic with God. Um, he does pursue us, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, if, if we continue to turn our backs on him, and we're running away from him, then at some point in time, the chase might stop happening. And that's, that, again, that reality type of thing of like, no, no, everybody, it works out well for everybody in the end. That's what our friends, the universalists, think. And we say, no, you're actually wrong. It doesn't work out that way in the end. Um, the offer, at some point in time, gets removed from the table. For the nation of Israel, captivity is coming. He rescued them from Egypt because of the rebellion over the course of hundreds of years. Now you will go back into slavery because, well, you reap what you sow. So verse, continue on verse 1. Thieves are on the inside. Bandits are on the outside. It's people don't realize that I am watching them. Omnipresent. God is everywhere. He sees all things. Okay, you're sinning right in front of my face is what he says. Their sinful deeds are all around them. I see them all. Nothing is hidden by God. Verse 3. The people entertain the king with their wickedness and the princes laugh at their lies. They are all adulterers, always aflame with lust. They are like an oven that is kept hot. 
while the baker is kneading the dough. On royal holidays, the princes get drunk with wine, carousing with those who mock them. Their hearts are like an oven, blazing with intrigue. Their, their plot smolders through the night. And in the morning, it breaks out like a raging fire, like a, uh, burning like an oven. They consume their leaders. They kill their kings one after another, and no one cries to me for help. So that's just a little description of the leadership that's going on there. So God is pinpointing to these guys, like, you're giving your, yourself away to uh, intoxication with alcohol. Um, you're the, ones, the very ones that mock you are the ones that you're, you're, you're budding up with. Why? Because they're getting wasted together. Like, these guys are joking about you and making fun of you, mocking you behind your back. Yet, when the wine starts flowing, you guys are all best friends. But this is just the, the leadership that is happening within Israel And again, specifically these northern tribes, which we know from the kings of the northern tribes, they were slaughtering each other one right after another. Assassination was happening like crazy. Proverbs 29.2 says, when the wicked rule, people groan. When the wicked rule, people groan. We see that in our day and age. That proverb still applies to us today. When the wicked are in power or in charge, what happens? The people are groaning. The people are groaning. We, do you see that? I mean, I mean, pick, pick a state, pick a country, pick a nation. Uh, when wicked people are ruling, ask our friends over in Russia. Wicked man's ruling. What's happening? The people are groaning. Okay? It's, it, that's just the principle that's there. But that proverb directly applies to the, to the northern tribes here in Israel. The wicked are ruling and the people are groaning. Verse 8, it says, the people of Israel mingle their godless, with godless foreigners, making themselves as worthless as half-baked, as a half-baked cake. Okay? Anybody ever half-baked cake? You ever tried that? No. You, you get that at a restaurant, you send it back. Right? That's disgusting. Okay? It's burnt on the bottom and it's raw on top is kind of the idea here. You would never want that. Um, you never want that. We watch a lot of Food Network at our house and Food competitions, we love watching that type of stuff. I'm very artistic, and so I like the cake design things. And one uh, competition we were watching, this guy uh, submitted his recipe, uh, Crokenbush, and so this little, you know, puff pastry balls and filled with stuff. And they were like, this is amazing because it's super well done on the outside, but it's raw in the inside. This is disgusting, right? That's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, it's no, you are a half-baked cake. That's not good. That's, there's, no, there's no balance. There's no nothing. You're just completely given over, for the most part, to mingling with these foreigners who are godless. You're compromising. Worshiping foreign gods has sapped their strength, but they don't even know it. Their hair is gray. Well, mine is too, but not because I'm committing idolatry, just so you know. It's because I'm very wise, is what I've been told. So that's actually not it either. I have four teenagers. That's probably the truth of it, actually. Um, no, their, their hair is graying, but they don't realize they're old and weak. Their arrogance testifies against them. That arrogance probably speaking more to that, that line that preceded this about their, their aging and they're growing weaker, but they're so arrogant, they don't even realize it. They don't, know, they don't know where they're at, okay? It says, and they don't return to the Lord their God or even try to find him. They're done. They're done looking. They're done. They're done looking. This reminds me a lot of what we experience in church, especially the past two years. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can read any study that's out there right now. Barna, 
Pew Research, all those. Church is declining sharply. Church of America declining drastically. Why? Well, people are done with church. No, no, no. That was the lie that was circulating for a little while there. Reality, people are done with God. They're done with God. And there's contributing factors to that. We know from the scriptures, there's going to be this falling away that's supposed to happen. And we're seeing, I think, the beginnings of that. But there's also just this thing where, you know, some people want to blame the church. There's too much phoniness within the church. Well, I mean, there's, what do you expect from sinners? Like we're sinners and we're not trying, nobody's trying to be phony, but my goodness, if, if the church is hypocritical, what is the world? I lived in the world and the, nobody's more hypocritical than the world. So the reality is a lot of people have been rubbing this magic lamp, waiting for Jesus to pop out of this thing and grant to them all their wishes and dreams and hopes and desires. And lo and behold, he hasn't popped out of any lamps. And so they are done. They're done with him. That's where Israel is at. They were done. They don't even look for it. They're not even trying to find him. Verse 11, the people of Israel have become like silly, witless doves. First calling to Egypt. No, wait, you fled from Egypt. You were rescued from Egypt. Then flying to Assyria for help. Assyria, those are the bad guys. Those are the bad guys. You just talk to Jonah who who went to Assyria not too long before uh, Hosea came on the scene. Uh, Hosea probably would have known Jonah personally. The Assyrians are the bad guys. Now, they were experiencing about a hundred-year thing of like repentance kind of a thing, but that ended pretty quickly. They're like, well, we'll go go look for help in, in Egypt. Well, that's where you got saved from. Oh, we'll go to the north. We'll go to Assyria. We'll go. We'll go to those guys. No, th- those are the bad guys. Those guys are looking to take you over. They're looking to take you over. They're going to take you captive. So they're looking everywhere but God is the point of the whole thing. Trying to find, trying to find whatever it is that they're looking for. Satisfaction, fulfillment. I mean, you name it. Because for some reason, not, not because he can't, but because they're actually not pursuing God. They're disappointed with God. And so they'll find Fulfillment in anything and everything else. Try to. Try to. But they're like witless doves, just fluttering about. I was studying last Thursday here in one of those little tables by the window. As I'm studying, bam! I was like, what was that? And I look outside and there's nothing there. But something hit the window. I'm like, okay, I wasn't imagining things. Something crashed into this window I go back out another time, there's a bird on the ground, okay? He lived, I think. I, I'm pretty sure he survived, okay? So, but this bird, little bitty guy, pretty witless, just full speed, crashed right into the window, right next to me. Um, and that's always what I think about, like, this witness, like, and no, no fault to the bird at all. I mean, birds are probably smart, I guess. But uh, that one just, for whatever reason, crashed into a window that you can't see through. All you would see is your own reflection. So I'm thinking, he's thinking, that other bird's going to move, right? The other bird's going to move. It's a game of chicken, okay? And well, he lost because he was competing against himself. And I went out to get, I got some water because I'm like, well, what do you, what do, you do? I don't know what to do for a bird. So I'm going to get a little bit of water and maybe that'll help, you know, kind of rub his little birdie shoulders, you know, he just got knocked out, like get him smelling salts or something. And I went back out there. He was gone, okay? Oh, 
just, that's Israel, just flying around, not paying any attention, and then bam, they're going to get, they're going to crash right into a wall. The wall they're going to crash into is Nebuchadnezzar. It's Babylon. So it says, verse 13, what sorrow awaits those who have deserted me? Let them die, for they have rebelled against me. I wanted to redeem them, but they have told lies about me. But they fly about, I'll throw my net over them and bring them down like a bird from the sky. I will punish them for all the evil that they do. So God's going to wrangle these guys in. Okay, the witless birds flying around. He's going to throw his net over them. He's going to capture them. Why would, he, why would he be so mean? Oh, because he cares about them. Because he cares about these witless birds, right? He cares about them. And the verse I, I skipped ahead to, this, what sorrow, this is like God communicating his heart towards his people. Like, they, they've deserted me. Let them die, for they've rebelled against me. I wanted to redeem them, but they've told lies about me. They do not cry out to me with sincere hearts. Instead, they sit on their couches and wail. They're just on their couches, like, complaining. Where's God at? As they're lounging on their couch, doing nothing. Where's God at? Right? Rubbing their lamp. Where's the magic genie? Where's my wishes? I guess, oh, he's not coming out. He doesn't care about me. Well, what are you doing for him? Where, where did you go? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where did, where did I go? If I'm on the couch wailing and whining and complaining, the issue is not with God. The issue is with me. And this goes even further. It says they cut themselves. Your translation may say they, they gather together, but I think the proper translation is they, they cut themselves. We know from sec, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, where they, the priests of Baal were trying to call down, uh, call out to Baal, and there was like a little, you know, uh, kind of a competition between Elijah and you call on your God and we'll call on our gods and all this stuff. Well, what they did was they gathered themselves together, and as they're begging and pleading for him, and Elijah's like, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. I don't know. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And literally, that's what he says. But they're going to the extremes of like in, in pagan rituals, they would, they would oftentimes cut themselves to draw blood, to show their devotion to their, to their gods. Here's the nation of Israel acting like pagans, acting like the godless ones. They cut themselves begging foreign gods for grain and new wine, and they turn away from me. He says, I trained them and made them strong. Yet now they plot evil against me. So again, the, the accusations that God is bringing against Israel is, not only have you turned your back on me, not only have you you've been unfaithful to me, now you're pursuing a relationship with these false gods. Not only are you lying about me to other people, but you're plotting evil against me. Who in their right minds would plot evil against God? That's what happens when you fall into this type of crowd. So as they look everywhere except to the Most High, they are as useless as a crooked bow. Their leaders will be killed by their enemies because, they, because of their insolence toward me. Then the people of Egypt will laugh at them. Like, oh man, can you believe those guys? Like, it wasn't that long ago that they were rescued from our nation as our captives. And then God taught us a lesson that all our false all our gods were fake, and he d- divinely rescued these people. Now look at the ones that he's divinely rescued, and look how they're living their lives, as if they're enemies of his. It's like the Egyptians 
got it, what the Israelites didn't get. And that's a sad thing when the world can recognize something that Christians just aren't appreciating in a relationship with God. It's a, that's a sad dynamic. If, if I get so down or have just turned my back on God and, and I'm just living in rebellion, you know, it's, it's one thing for another Christian to come alongside you, but it's a whole other thing if somebody from the world comes alongside you and says, hey, man, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop. Maybe you should go back to church. When the world tells you that, there's, there's something happening that you, you need to listen to. That's like Egypt laughing at you. Verse 1 of chapter 8, it goes on. Sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord, for they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. Now Israel pleads with me, help us, for you are our God. Save us, please, help us. But it's too late. But it's too late. The people of Israel have rejected what is good, and now their enemies will chase after them. The people have appointed kings without my consent, princes without my approval. By making idols for themselves from their silver and gold, they have brought about their own destruction. O Samaria, I reject this calf. This idol you have made, my fury burns against you. How long will you be incapable of innocence? The calf you worship, O Israel, was crafted by your own hands. It is not God. It's a pretty definitive statement there. It is not God. It cannot be God, nor will it ever be God. You should have learned this lesson at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses was, getting, was speaking to God, and they gathered around Aaron so he's like, hey, build us a God. Moses is dead. So here's all our gold and silver. Yet again, it's like they're repeating this thing. Here's all our gold and silver. Make us a God. What? Where did you learn how to make a God like that? Where did you learn that that was God? Oh, in Egypt, in the world. Make us another one of these. Here, God is bringing this accusation again to the people of Israel because this is right back where they started. It's not a God. Therefore, it must be smashed to bits, which technically, which is what happened. We saw that in the book of Exodus. It says, they have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. Stocks of grain wither and, produ- and produce nothing to eat. And even if there is any grain, foreigners will eat it. The people of Israel have been swallowed up. They lie among the nations like an old discarded pot, like a wild donkey looking for a mate. They have gone up to Assyria. The people of Israel have sold themselves, sold themselves to many lovers. But though they have sold themselves to many allies, I will now gather them together for judgment. Then they will writhe under the burden of a great king. This is highlighting or emphasizing the fact that Nebuchadnezzar would be this great king who comes and puts them under his own rule. Verse 11 says, Israel has built many altars to take away sin. Isn't that fascinating? They build up many altars to take away sin. But these very altars became places for sinning. Let's construct these altars. These will be places where we can take away our sins, right? They realize, they recognize we still have sins that need to be atoned for. So we still need to sacrifice. So instead of going to the temple, let's just build our own altars and we'll do the sacrificing there. I know God said to go to the temple, but it's pretty far away. 
Can you, I mean, the commute is just terrible. It's horrible. So let's just, out of convenience, let's build our own temples right here in the northern part of Israel. And we'll make all of our sacrifices for our sins there. Yet these places that were meant to take away their sins, which was a very act of rebellion in and of itself, to build these things, disobeying God, have become places for sinning. They had a lot of uh, influence from other nations, other foreigners coming in there. So things that you would have going on at these places would be things like temple prostitution and all these other factors within this. It says, even though I gave them all my laws, they act as if those laws don't apply to them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right? So, yeah, here's my word. Oh, your word doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't? Seems like it does. Seems like it all applies to us, but I don't know. But for the Israelites, he's like, I gave, I gave you guys my word, the law. Yeah, that doesn't apply to us. The guy's like, no, no, wait. No, literally, that directly applied to you because I spoke it to you as a nation. We went through the book of Leviticus, and that was all about the law being delivered specifically to the people of Israel and God preparing them when they go into the land. This is what you'll live by. And they said, oh, of course, God, all that you say we will do. All that Moses, all that you say we will do. Joshua, all that you say we will do. God, all that you say we will do. Then they get in the land, they're like, what were we supposed to do? They, they, they lost it pretty, pretty quickly if you look at the chronology of them getting into the promised land. It did not take long for them to just go in complete rebellion. They act as if the, law, the, the laws don't apply to them. The people love to offer sacrifices to me, feasting on the meat, but I do not accept their sacrifices. Again, this just, it, it's fascinating, their, their mindset. They build the temples and the places so that they can get their sins taken away or removed, and they love to offer to God sacrifices. They love to do the church stuff. They love to do this stuff because why? Because it makes them feel good. It's tangible. I made a sacrifice. Feel good about that. We have to be cautious about these things, even in the church today. Sometimes we can do things because it's like, well, I'm not really living for God, but if I know if I put some money in the box, it just makes me feel a little bit better. Same thing. I know know I'm not really sold out for him or living for him, but I know if I show up to church like maybe once a month, it makes me feel good. Well, but that's not like, that's not a relationship thing. That's duty. It's not delight, as John Piper would say. There's duty and then there's delight. Those who are in a relationship with God want delight. We're not checking off boxes. And these guys, they loved offering the sacrifices because it made them feel good. And God's like, I don't want that. I don't want your sacrifices. We already saw from earlier on what God desires is, well, what he desires is obedience. Don't don't come bringing your sacrifices to me when you're also bound down to all these other other idols. I don't want your stuff because I don't have your heart. I want your heart. You keep your stuff. Give me your heart. Give me all of you. Why don't I want to give you all of me? Then I'll have none of you. Well, that sounds mean. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. I mean, that's, that's what he's worthy of. Hopeless, 
Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're currently in a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Don't let the word minor fool you. Normally, its definition is widely known as not important, but that's not the case here. Many men from days of old spoke about the faithfulness of Jesus and his power to bring wayward souls back to him. Despite all of their poor choices, Jesus used different prophets to speak the saving truth of his righteousness into their lives. If you liked what you heard today, you have an opportunity to share it with others by making a donation to this ministry at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Donation tab. Feel free to explore other teachings by Pastor James as well. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary, Galveston. If you're looking for a church that you can call home, or you simply want to connect and pray with somebody, we'd love to be that for you. You can get in touch with us by filling out the contact form at our website, breadforthebroken.com. Interested in visiting us at one of our services? Well, you have two options available to you, Sundays at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. If you can't get there, we invite you to use our Facebook live stream. We'd love to connect with you because there's hope and healing in Jesus. Our time is up for today's edition, but we'd encourage you to tune in next time to hear more about these prophets that had major messages from God. Join us for more wisdom that comes from the Word of God right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of people.